0: This is part one of episode four of the Smart Revolution
1: podcast. Hygienists and therapists, they need to get their business hat on, not just the business hat, but they need to get their business hat on and they need to be really good at selling themselves. You know, because I think we, we've, we're, we have a vocational qualification, but it's not our God-given right for everything that we might want in a a practice, I think it's got to be a bit of give and take. I think you've really got to, you've got to project what you can bring to their practice and actually what you can build in the practice and how you can make the practice better. Um, You know, you're you're not just going along to see if you get offered a job. You know, Um, I think there's there's two, you know, if you go along just wanting to be offered a job, uh, the best that will happen is you will get a job. But if you go with the attitude of, you know, this is what I can bring, you're more likely to really be fulfilled in your career. Hello, and thank
0: you for downloading Small Revolution in association with Dent Sirona, a podcast dedicated to oral health promotion, supporting career development for dental hygienists and dental therapists. I'm Victoria Wilson, a dental therapist, and I am so excited to bring to you poignant conversations with dental professionals who have made an impact on my career. And thanks to their transparency, we will endeavour to learn more about the choices they have made and the impact this has had professionally and personally. Through listening to the Smile Revolution podcast, I hope you gain inspiration and ideas for furthering your career path, supporting oral health promotion and enhancing smiles across the world. I am delighted to introduce our sponsor, Dent Sirona, who are committed to providing clinically proven and innovative solutions. Continuing professional education and patient self-care support to help promote a lifetime of oral health around the world. Find out more at denseplicerona.com forward slash revolution Today's guest is Flo Cooper, a dental hygienist from Dundee in Scotland. I am so excited to have Flo on the show and for her to share with you her extremely interesting, diverse career path. I honestly learned so much from this dear colleague who transfers her passion to me on nearly a daily basis. Flo qualified in 1997 from Dundee Dental Hospital with a diploma in dental hygiene. She really has fulfilled and continues to fulfill a dynamic career path that I find so interesting. From working in NHS practice, community dental service, hospital, a stint in the armed forces holding a temporary tutor position which at the time she felt was to be her future, as felt so passionate about being a tutor at this point, until she began working in an incredible, fully private practice for 12 years, treating patients as a hygienist, as well as completing further training and doing facial aesthetics for nine years. In the midst of her clinical work, she was trained in the US in the business side of dentistry, and she has worked extensively in the business side of dentistry in the UK. With such a wealth of experience and expertise, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Flo Cooper to the show. On today's show, Flo shares an insight into how she explored her personal interests and tied this into her career that involved travelling to the US and training colleagues in the UK. This podcast is for all dental hygienists and dental therapists that have an interest in also following a dynamic career path, who have an interest in the business side of dentistry and continuing clinically. Flo also shares her experience in treating aesthetic patients and the comparison in delivering aesthetic treatment and hygiene treatments. This podcast is very insightful and will help you reflect on your mindset, focusing on what you can bring personally to the profession. We had so much to talk about that this recording has actually been split into two podcasts. Hi Flo, how are you today? I am amazing, thank you Victoria. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Smile Revolution podcast. It is my absolute pleasure and honour to have you on the show.
1: Oh thank you, the pleasure's all mine.
0: So here we are, I'm at home, my babies have gone to bed and you are
1: at home as well. Yes, yes. And my baby has gone to bed also I'm so happy
0: <laughs> and it's 8:30 p.m on a Tuesday evening um, we're now going to try and record this podcast so here goes so float to start with and in line with the smile revolution podcast it's all about career development for the profession. And you are certainly somebody I really look up to in your achievements. And you've really taken a diverse kind of route in your career. What would you say have been the most memorable or are the most memorable, memorable, I can't talk, memorable achievements to you in your career to date? So it's, it's,
1: Probably there's, I think they all sort of blend in. I think sometimes achievements are sort of, they're all building blocks, aren't they, aren't they? to where you get to um, at stage in, in your life? But I certainly would say now I'm in a really great position with all the experience that I've gained. Um, and I think probably things that stand out, uh, one of the things that just came into my mind actually was um, I always thought that my um, future was in being a tutor hygienist in hospital services. Um, I actually didn't get a job. I went for a job as a tutor hygienist and didn't get it and I was devastated and I actually thought my career was over um, and funnily and, and then I moved into private practice but what happened when I moved into private practice? I moved into the best private practice possible um, and actually what was probably the worst situation in my career ended up being the best possible way. And I think being in that private practice um, and all the people that supported me and working in a team, I've never ever looked back. That's probably been the pivotal mo- moment of when my career really progressed. That was when I went from having a job to a career. Isn't that amazing? When your heart's set on something
0: and you envisage, you know, sometimes I remember people saying to me, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Or, you know, and your heart was set on being a tutor. Absolutely.
1: And it's incredible, isn't it? You know, I know. And you know what? It's a bit like every cloud has a silver lining. And I'm a big believer of that. You know, it's like, you know, something doesn't work out. And it's just maybe not meant to be. And maybe you it's another direction. And I've still continued on the path of training and coaching and mentoring. Um, but I feel that the people that I coach and train and mentor are probably more in alignment with what I'm about. Whereas if, I, I think if I would stayed in the hospital, as much as it would be a, a really good career progression, I don't think it was me. I don't think it was me. Looking back, it definitely wasn't me at all. So, so yeah, so that's probably the pivotal um, marker in my career was not getting a job and then never looking back.
0: Yeah. But, you know, and I think what you've just said there is what I believe, you know, for really everyone and the kind of stance that I've taken on my career, I've got to love what I'm doing to be really inspired. Absolutely. Uh, And if you don't really love or find that niche in our profession you know of dental hygiene and dental therapy that is you then you know your career development to a point may be not in the same position that it could potentially be in if you found that real passion that's unique to you and it's going to be different for everyone I guess isn't it
1: yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's true. And I think it's, you know, I think depending on the areas that, that you know, area, different areas around the country, there'll be, there'll be varying opportunities depending on where you are. But I, I don't think that should ever restrict you. I think it's just finding something or some aspect of what it is you do in your job or your career that you just think, do you know what, I like that. It might, be, it might be as a dental hygienist therapist, it might be all patient care, But you actually might end up enjoying the business side of it or you might enjoy the team bit of it or you might go into um, working with the the dental companies. You know, there there are a lot of different scopes. And I think it's important that um, as much as we we, we have a vocational qualification, so we're trained to do a job, I think it's very important that we get a a broader skill set you know, within our within our um, qualification that enables us to really begin to understand what our spark is, really. You know, and understand, because you do, you need that inspiration. I think I always remember someone mentioning years ago, and it's maybe an old fashioned thing, but it's certainly something that all, I always remember, is that the life cycle of a hygienist is about seven years. Because I think historically you were talking ten minute appointments. Fifteen's low now, but ten. And often it was no nurse ten minutes appointment. And I think they were just running to the ground. And there was no, you know, there was no motivation, there was no job worth. Um, and I think the I from what I remember, I always remember someone saying that the life cycle was seven years. And I had a bit of a panic when I got to seven years, but fortunately I didn't get the tutor's job, so it was fine. <laughs> and you launched your career then. Absolutely. The the seven-year itch didn't happen, or it did happen. (laughs) It was meant to be. So tell me, how did you find out about this
0: clinic that really was the launch of your career?
1: So my friend um, worked there um, and she had said, look, um, the practice that I'm in, they're looking for a full-time hygienist because the hygienist that was there was leaving. So um, I didn't really think I wanted to go back into practice because I'd worked in NHS, all, all different sorts of practices. and I thought, mm, I'm not too sure. However, I went along for the interview um, and I met Dr. Elaine Halley of Cherry Bank Dental Spa. Um, I went along for the interview, really hit it off with her. She offered me the job um, and I actually just put all my heart into it because what she did on the interview, she was very much interested in, what I would bring to her practice. So she wasn't really telling me this. Well, she what there was a guideline of what was expected, but she was interested in what I can bring. And at the time it was about pediatric care. That was the, the big thing that we were kind of building in the practice at that time. So um, we just really hit it off. I, I started there. Um, and unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but um, not planned, I was expecting about three months after I started. Um, and so, um, but she was great, really, really good. And she'd offered to take me to New York um, and uh, we, I went to a hygiene symposium in New York. And she, she still took me, even though I was, um, you know, I was kind of expecting and stuff. So she was just really really good and you know I, I think she valued me and I valued her and I, I worked there for 12 years and I'm still close with her today Um, and she just gave me she gave me a platform where I was um, heard she gave me a platform where I was listened I was appreciated um, and I worked really hard for her you know I worked really really hard for her and I only did that and wanted to do that because of the platform that she gave me so I mean I I couldn't have asked for a, a better environment. And unfortunately I know that these environments are not around in abundance. Um, you know, but I was very, very, very lucky. So um yeah, I mean I've never looked back. No. Yeah.
0: And it's so interesting you say that. And because essentially from just hearing you now, she allows you to really uncover your passion and like you said, it launched your career. But from another standpoint, I guess maybe there it there aren't well there's no copy paste as such you know everybody's unique and everybody everybody every dentist has got their own unique skill set um and their own individual assets um that they deliver to the profession however there are certainly very supportive dentists out there but it's interesting the platform that she gave you to really you know and well, dis- well, ask you basically what you've got to offer, and I think that's an interesting look at you know for other hygienists and other therapists listening. You know, when you're maybe in discussions with dentists, I mean, interviews don't essentially always take place within our profession. If they do for some hygienists and therapists, yeah. but you know, not for everyone. It's a general kind of meet up. Um, from my experience with other dentists. You know, but actually having that mindset of what you as a hygienist or a therapist can bring to the business and thinking about your unique selling points rather than maybe just having a general discussion. So I think it's something to work on, possibly, just from this conversation
1: now. Absolutely. I think every dental hygienist and therapist, they need to get their business hat on, not just the business hat, but they need to get their business hat on and they need to be really good at selling themselves, you know, because I think we, we've, we have a vocational qualification, but it's not our God-given right for everything that we might want in a, a practice. I think it's got to be a bit of give and take. I think you've really got to, you've got to project what you can bring to their practice and actually what you can build in the practice and make, how you can make the practice better. And, um, you know, you're, you're not just going along to see if you get offered a job you know, um, I think there's there's two, you know, if you go along just waiting, wanting to be offered a job, uh, the best that will happen is you will get a job. But if you go with the attitude of, you know, this is what I can bring, you're more likely to really be fulfilled in your career. Yeah. And I think a, a big, a, a real big um, difference in probably the mindset, actually, it's you, it's your personal mindset that I think allows that.
0: Thanks for that, because that is exactly what this podcast is all about. So I think
1: it's really topical that we've managed to
0: literally land on this topic at the beginning of the you know, Yay. conversation. <laughs> so then you went to New York and what did you do in New York and how did that come
1: about? Was that instigated by yourself or anything? Um, so- that that was a lane that she was going. It was the aesthetic advantage that was, you know, quite big for a lot of the cos- uh, the cosmetic dentists in the UK at that time. Um, and we're going back now, sixteen years ago. Um, I could only remember. I only know that because my daughter's nearly sixteen. Uh, but yeah, it's going back sixteen years. So um, she took me. Then there was a, there was a hygienist symposium um, that we attended. It was Bobby Anthony, um, and I was just sort of blown away with how comprehensive they were doing their hygiene appointments you know it was pretty much everything that we had been taught in dental school nothing of it was so different but what they had done that was different than the UK was they had practices they they had a lot of um, practices that were running to our appointments similar to how we were taught to work you know there was no corners cut so it wasn't we they what I like from the Americans is the patients weren't compressed into an appointment system. The appointment system was created for the patient's needs. And that was the big difference. And obviously just having the confidence to charge for those appointments. So a lot of them, um, there was some in additional clinical insights but you know i wouldn't say there was huge additional clinical insights i think the teaching that we have here in the uk is fantastic i think it's 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 you know it's all all about the evidence it's follow you know there's, there's nothing substandard about how we are taught in the universities um in the uk but i think there is a big um uh, difference between the reality of how we're trained, and then when we go out to work, and I think the biggest thing that I was inspired from the Americans is that they've um, they've they've not diluted that as much as as possibly we have in the UK, and I don't mean that that's any individual's um, responsibility. I think it's just you know just possibly NHS restrictions, different things have kind of driven um driven things to the point where you know it's impossible to see a patient in hygiene for an hour on the NHS. You know, that the practices would go bust. So that's that's just not realistic. Um, so that was the the biggest thing that I learned was their um just their enthusiasm and the and how they had the patient very patient centered. And you know the Americans are known for being quite financially driven and things as well. You know, we, we can't not say that. But Still at their heart, from the people I met, very, very patient centred, and and doing things um, really as they should be doing. So I came back from New York really enthused, you know, super enthused. Um, and then afterwards, we had um, American coaches that came over to the practice, um, and as soon as they came in, I just got a real inspiration and motivation for the business. I began to really, really. I just loved the business of dentistry and i just begun to just look into that and I just became so, so interested um, in that. And that just became, that was almost like the, you know, it's not that I'd moved away from hygiene because I was still very much a practising hygienist, but I became much more interested in the business side and I really gained an appreciation for the principal dentist and the weight that's on their shoulders and and often the bit that's not seen. You know, they see the dentist with the big car and they think, but actually... You know that 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 they are, there is a lot of pressures that they have, and I think to to know that and to respect that and appreciate what they're going through, I think it does create a a much more harmonious relationship. So I really, really um, begun to um, just appreciate the weight that was on the dentist's shoulders. Really, yeah. So that was probably the biggest thing that from New York and back was that that whole doing things right and appreciation for the business.
0: Yeah, and this obviously is a podcast for the global market, so people (laughs) from all around the world are listening, but I think you just literally underlined the value of travelling. At the end of the day, we're pretty much, whichever country we're in, we're doing the same thing to obviously achieve the same objective, but Mm -hmm. actually how we're doing it is different. And Mm. that is the value, isn't it, of travelling um attending conferences in other countries i have had the fortune of you know traveling with my work as well and it's been amazing because just speaking to people they have a just a different approach or they've tried and tested you know a different system or they just have a different outlook because naturally it's a different country and the culture is maybe different and it's you know then coming back to your particular country it's
1: yes, you, you do. You 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 know you you can't you're we're all forever learning, you know, we're forever, forever learning. I don't think there's anybody who's said, right, that's that's my learning done, you know. I think we're forever learning. And I think, you know, if you are ambitious and you are always wanting to develop yourself and develop your skills better, I think you can't you can't help but not take on what you've learned and what you what you've um, what you've seen from other people and and I think cultures is a really good thing that you bring up because you know I think culturally if you look at you know America Australia uk there's probably lots of other countries that we all speak the English language but culturally we're so different you know very 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 different um, and it's and it's good to have an appreciation for all the cultures and all the different styles of how they do things but I think you're right you 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 would you know you would do yourself an injustice if you didn't come back having learned something and it does yeah. make you it does make your whole um you know your your whole um outlook you you're just wealthier with the knowledge you know yeah. so absolutely yeah definitely The Dentsply Sirona Smart Scaling course provides an overview of Cavatron technology, tools and techniques to enhance your everyday practice and the patient experience. Built around the modern needs of hygienists and therapists, this course will provide training on appropriate instrumentation techniques, the science behind Cavatron ultrasonic technologies and create preventive protocols to enhance both clinical and non-clinical practice. team
0: so who came
1: over from the US so it was a company called Jameson Management um, and that was Cathy Jameson um, and if anybody's listened to Kathy um, speaking you know she is like a, a powerhouse of a woman really good um, and her her practice had um, she developed 25 systems in her practice that helped her practice, her husband's practice well it was her husband's practice her um, husband was the dentist it was both a practice um, grow their business in the time of a recession so that was really hard business. It was, you know, you you um, implementing these twenty five systems. So they came over and they they taught us. And again, even with that, there was some cultural there's some cultural differences in in how the how, on and what we would implement. Um, and then I then went on to work for them. So yeah, so so I um, went over to Oklahoma, did all my training, um, and you know they were amazing, really, really good. And then I came came back home, um, and then from two thousand and five up until I think two thousand and ten, if I or maybe two thousand and eight, I think it maybe was, um, I used to go around the UK um, and coach dental teams. To teach them how to um, design and implement um, and put into place a periodontal protocol. So that was my main thing that I used to help practices do. That's
0: just amazing. Can I ask you and really tap into this? Because yeah. they came over to teach you. So, how did it evolve that you ended up going over there to, <laughs> to, for further training to then become one of their teachers? I mean, there must have been
1: something there, Flo. What how did it happen? It was so good. So, um, you know, I'm forever the opportunist, you know, and I, I sort of, well, what had happened was Cathy, um, Jameson and, and my boss, Elaine Halley, they, they joined a partnership and they formed Jameson Management UK. So um, I was sort of in the right place at the right time, to be fair, you know. I, I'd like to say that I was selected out of the UK to do it, but I think the reality, I was, I was in the right place at the right time. Um, and um, I had said to Elaine that I would really be quite keen to um to to do to be involved um in doing the, the hygiene coaching. And so um yeah so, so the rest was history and she went that would be great. So um I, I went over to Oklahoma, we did all the training and things, and um, came back across and um, and then I was just all over the UK. And um, so I, I did the you know we we helped practices put in the period protocols. I used to do communication training um, I did sales training. So every you know pretty much all all that aspect but i think the key thing was is whatever clinical thing whatever clinical protocol or system you were teaching them we, it was always about getting the team involved and so that's really where my passion really started for team building and communication amongst team members because it, you know you know i don't have to tell you but it's it's so important you know i think sometimes hygienists Maybe not so much therapists, but hygienists are often just out there on their own. They're in that side little surgery, and they some you know they they they're often not fully integrated with the team, and all they do is hygiene. You know, scales polishes, scales polishes, and so um, I think you know in order to change that, you need. It's not the hygienists job to change that it's the whole team's approach that's needed to change that and so I learned very early on the real importance of powerful team dynamics um and so yeah so it was a it was an amazing experience really good
0: and aside from you being very modest thinking you were in the right place at the right time (laughs) I think I'd just like to highlight and for the purpose of this podcast I think it was probably obviously down to you being so enthusiastic at this point finding your spark within the profession, that probably probably was that pivotal moment. Essentially, it was Flo, I'm sure. Thank you.
1: I'll take that. I think I'm learning to take... I think when I was younger, you know, you could never take a compliment. And now I'm getting older, I'm just like, okay, thank you for that. I'll I'll take that. Thank you. Credit. When
0: credit is due, credit is due. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and that just highlights, you know, you need to be finding your niche, and yes. everybody's unique. Everyone has their own niche. I really believe that yeah. in the profession. And you are I the perfect example of that. So you came back to the UK. Yeah. You were doing training in centers. How did you
1: start that up? Did they teach you how to... So, I mean, I... For, with Jameson Management, I was following their system. So I was teaching their material. You know, it was it was quite structured um, and it was, you know, it was very, very carefully designed the way they had done it. And it was quite structured. But of course, with all of that, you are then the personality behind those teachings. And, you know, my job really was making it sort of you. UK if that's even a way a word. Um, but you we know, know maybe, what you mean. Yes. So 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 then you begin to bring your own sort of style and things um into it. But then I think um Around the sort of um, the, the real economy crash that we had experienced in about 2008, I think it, it just wasn't a great time in the UK. So, And then I, I had another baby, and so I just decided that I, I couldn't really do all the traveling. So I then just sort of kind of sidelined out of that. Um, and then um, about that time, I started doing facial aesthetics. So I was one of the first hygienists in the UK to be trained. Yeah, so that was the next. (laughs) next How did you get into that when no one was really doing it at the time? Well, again, it was my friend Elaine who actually got me the job in Cherry Bank. Um, She had uh, me and her were going to be doing it, um, but she she managed to get on the first course, and then I was on the course right after her. So, um, and 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 we were we were working in Cherry Bank, so we were you know supported by Elaine. Um and yeah, do it carrying out uh, toxin injections for wrinkles, dermal fillers, skin peels, and so it was really nice because we did a lot of cosmetic dentistry in the practice, and Elaine Halley was already doing aesthetics, and so it was really nice to support her in in doing that, so yeah, so it, it was really I, I really enjoyed it because I've always quite been interested in sort of beauty and skin creams and all that sort of thing, um but this was sort of next level, so it was really, really good. so I did that for eight years I only stopped last year and the only reason I stopped is because I was just becoming a jack of all trades because I do so many different things so I just decided I had to kind of refocus but I did that for eight years yeah really enjoyed it I do I do miss doing lip filler a little bit I won't lie you know I really enjoyed um uh, treating lips (laughs) as well as doing hygiene as well as doing hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. So I only I, I sort of um, stopped in clinical hygiene. It must be about three to four years ago now. So I haven't really I've not really been pr- as a practicing hygienist for about three to four years. I mean, I've done the odd session and things, you know, to keep my hand in. Um, but I haven't really worked as a hygienist for about three to four years. Yeah. But you were doing still the fillers, etc.? Yes, yes. So I, was, I, was, I would have my hygiene. So my, my day list used to be a combination of regular hygienes, some maybe lip filler treatments, some perio treatments, some new patient hygiene. So a real combination. So I think what I really liked is it brought a variety to my day um, because therapists' obviously have a bigger variety you've got a bigger scope but sometimes for a hygienist it's you know even though you're treating different patients and I think it's the patient that you should be considering always instead of physically what you're doing there is an element that physically you're practically doing the A similar, you know, you're in routine with your ultrasonics or your air polishers and, you know, you're quite routine. And so I think bringing in the filler was was definitely brought in a a different uh, dimension to to my work. Um, And it was almost like it was it was quite interesting because with in dentistry, you know, we are we're often treating people or advising patients um, what they need. But they might not want that, but we know they need it. Whereas in aesthetics, they're coming to you saying, This is what I want. You know, and that, so it was really quite interesting to discover the dynamics of an aesthetic patient because their needs are very, very different than a, a dental patient. Quite much more um demanding because they, they actually know what they want and because they can see the results, so quite, quite demanding. Um, and yeah, and I think there was a, you had to almost, you've got to really adapt yourself to treat an aesthetic patient. You, you can't go in with your dental head, you need to have a slightly different approach with them. Um, and that's nothing that you're taught, that's just something that you learn. That's you know? really interesting, Flo. I have to say, you
0: know, what you've just brought up there, um, I'm all about work life balance. Um, and it can be demanding, and I've known as I've spoken to colleagues in the past, you know, the fact that we are essentially patients don't necessarily know or want what they need when yeah. they come and see us. It's an earnest on us to really obviously deliver enough information so they can make that informed decision um that they they do need this and hopefully in the long run want it and that's obviously down to the communication and behavioral change you know (laughs) tactics that we use etc um but then when someone's coming in to see you and they really want that treatment but the pressure is obviously different like you said yeah but you know that's that's something interesting to explore further because You know, it is a bit more of a balance because Mm. you can either, I I can imagine having these people coming in, it's like, oh, I don't need to convince you about the treatment or, you know, ensure you that you've made the right decision in any way because you you want it. Yes. So it's it's probably a bit more, I can
1: imagine, a bit of a relief. So it is a relief and you've got people who actually will happily pay for it. They come back repeatedly, you know. So if you think about, you know, if a patient comes in for an examination and the dentist needs to do a filling or an inlay or something like that, you know, they might think, you know, they might huff and haw about that a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's translatable to the UK. It's maybe my Scottish. Sorry, they they might, uh, you know, not want that. (laughs) I know what you mean. I love your little (laughs) Scottish terms. (laughs) So, um, So whereas an aesthetic patient comes in, and then three months later, they come back and they want more, you know, or they want a different bit or they, you know, and it is completely different. I must say, though, that when you have an engaged dental patient, once you've helped them want what you know they need, um, they just become a good forever patient. You know, you've just got to really keep that relationship, keep on delivering um, the, you know, keep, keep basically assessing them properly, keep letting them know what you've assessed and and how it's looking and what you need to do and how well they've been doing and really give them a bit of a, like an MOT certificate. You know, they need to leave knowing, you know, and that's really important. But these patients then become easier. So you get them on board, they become easier. Sometimes an aesthetic patient um, can become more difficult only because they can be quite, you know, it's a different thing. It's a visual It's a visual um, result that they're seeing rather than something that they don't see, which in hygiene, apart from stain removal, which is only a small part of what we do in hygiene, as you know, is, you know, it's not really so measurable, really. Um, And so I think sometimes they can become quite, you know, so most people have got asymmetries to their lips to begin with, okay. put a little half mil of filler in and it's amazing how many people then see their asymmetry because they are then looking in the mirror, you know, they're they're looking and they're thinking, I've never seen that before. So then what I began to do later was, um, so as much as they're coming in and they're wanting it, I find myself pointing out the asymmetries before we started, you know, and taking really good clinical photographs. And just basically saying, you know, I'm just pointing this out. You know, and some people will go, oh, they were quite shocked that you were pointing. Oh, I've never noticed that. And it wasn't to make them feel paranoid about themselves, but it was just to offset them coming back you know so i think managing those patients takes a a different level of skill and you 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 get there but good clinical photos good communication um and obviously good injection techniques and a good eye for what you're doing is is really important to keep them being forever patients yeah yeah there's just a different I, i guess it's easier at the beginning and then you have to work a little bit more through the relationship, whereas a perio patient, I would say, has maybe more challenges at the beginning. But once you get them on board and they're engaged, they're easy. You know, they're fairly straightforward, you know, because they're committed and they value what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. completely different uh, dynamic. Yeah.
0: And I know more and more hygienists and therapists are going into aesthetics as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's a wonderful opportunity for career development now. Absolutely, and because it does offer those dynamics. So, for any listeners out there um, that are interested in exploring aesthetics and facial aesthetics, who would you recommend from your experience of being in facial aesthetics for eight years that they um, maybe go to for training? Or
1: yeah, so so I from?
0: would,
1: I yeah, I would strongly recommend Dr. Harry Singh, who owns the Botulinum Toxin Club. Um, and interestingly, he actually has a few therapists, hygienists, on his as trainers in his company. There's Lisa Moore. Um, they've been doing aesthetics for a long time, and they're actually trainers in his company. So he's he's very respectful and of our skill set in doing that. And plus, he offers the level seven um, qualification. So what's really interesting in aesthetics is. Obviously, up until um, quite recently, well, really, right now, there is no there is no such thing as a qualification in a facial aesthetics. It was um, the General Medical Council have um, stated that doctors, dentists and nurses can do aesthetics. And I don't know that the purposefully excluded us, but they, we certainly weren't on the list. And so we were sort of driven out of aesthetics for um, a little while. You know, it got quite... It was it was quite negative towards hygienists and therapists, but I think there's been a lot of um, efforts that to fight for our right to do it and to, to recognise our skill set in doing it. Um, and in Scotland, different than what's in England, is um, we've really fought, went through. Um, Dr. Dr. Simon Ravichavin and he has. Um, him and a few other colleagues, they've actually petitioned in the Scottish Parliament. Um, and they, what we've got now in, in Scotland is it is illegal to carry out aesthetics in a non-registered premises. Whereas in England, if I lived in England, you could come into my spare room and I could do Botox on you. you know. But we cannot do that in Scotland unless the spare room has been is, has been inspected and passed, um, so we've got we've got a tighter regulation than what, what England have, which I think is very very much needed because of all the scarier scary sort of horror stories in aesthetics. I mean, you only have to open the newspaper if anybody reads newspapers these days or perhaps Facebook but you know that there's lots and lots of um, really quite frightening stories about non-experienced injectors or people that really shouldn't be injecting and but the problem is is that it's not illegal for them to inject and so that's the real difficulty so in Scotland from what I believe the stage one is getting making sure the, pre- the premises are registered Part of that registration process, though, is that the people working in those premises have to fit the criteria. So by default, you're sort of you're getting rid of the people that shouldn't be doing it. Um, and then I think the next stage is that they're really hoping to make it a make a qualification which health education England have already put in the, the um, framework for. And for aesthetics, it's quite the level seven qualification. Now at the very beginning, when it was first brought out. I tried to get on the level seven. Um, I tried to get onto the courses, and I wouldn't be accepted. Okay, because i It was a hygienist. Whereas now we can get accepted for the national the level seven qualification, which is so it's really opened it up that um, you know we can do that. And I think we all should do that. To be quite honest with you, I really do think that we we should, as hygienists and therapists, I think we should. Do that. That's part of the reason why I came out of aesthetics because I didn't want to do it, only because I was doing so many other things. I was either all in, or I wasn't going to go through all that education to do a day or so a week. And so that's where I thought, do you know what? I've maybe just I need to just shelf that now. So that was a big decision for me because I really, really enjoyed it. But with Harry in the Botulinum Toxin Club, he offers the level seven training. Okay. So yeah. that's something that you really think. I, I everyone personally should do. I personally do think I think it just puts you in a really strong position. I'm not saying that you can't deliver facial aesthetics without it, but I think you I think that you should have your, your desire, you should have a you should be driving towards doing that. Right. You know, but I think it puts you in a stronger position. Because really currently as it stands, you're talking about a one or two day course. That's really still what it is. You know, um, and it, it's a bigger it's a bigger thing thing than that. Um, and so, I, I think I would. Harry Singh um, has been doing this for a long, long time, and I, I would really um, I highly rate him. Yeah. Yeah. So, how long does the level seven take? Um, I think it's about one or two years um, from memory. Certainly, when I explored it um, through. The UCLan University, I think it was about eighteen months um, that it was taking for that, not full time, of course, you know, and you distance. have to spaces and things. Um, so I think it's about between a year and two years, I, I think. But um, you know, Harry's website will be able to guide guide people onto that. But um, but yeah, he he offers that course, and I think that's really really um, important to do that. Yeah.
0: Thanks, for that, Flo, because I think you know having been somebody that's been involved for eight years Mm -hmm. with facial aesthetics to then decide to actually maybe come away from it because feeling that you were at that point where really you needed to do that seven level seven. And did you want to invest the time, but for career development, for others listening in the Mm -hmm. UK, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I guess this is a global, would it be global? Um, as in hygiene, doing aesthetics. Um, well, if they are permitted to do in other countries, but um, the level seven, I I'm guess.
1: not too. I'm not too sure. I know it's it's framed from Health Education England, so I'm not too sure okay. if it's recognised just in the UK or not. I'm I'm not terribly sure on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's something maybe we but can look into. It. Yeah, it certainly gives you makes you qualified. Yeah. It's, Provides that that you know you've you've proven that you have got all of the education around um, everything to do with aesthetics. You know, um, from complications to the pharmacology to the anatomy. You know, safety. Everything. You know, I think it covers everything, and I think that's really important. That's one of the biggest risks in aesthetics um, today. Is um, there's many people beauticians are underqualified, and that's the key difference—it's knowing how to manage the complication. You know, it's yeah, the most us. important thing yeah. over. You know, yeah.
0: Well, and like with what we do as well. You know, the more experience that you have over the years, the more I guess prepared you are to deal with maybe something that is unexpected.
1: um Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, but thank you so much for that. That's been really interesting. We had so much to talk about. This recording has been split into two podcasts. So please look out for the release of part two of Flo Cooper's podcast recording. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I'm sure you will love our next guest. So click on subscribe to be the first to hear it. If you were inspired by the podcast today and you wish to launch an oral health promotional campaign or project, please let us know at Smile Revolution as we are here for you leading dental professionals as your creative agency dedicated to making a success of every oral health promotional campaign and project. Book your free consultation today. Please email info at smile-revolution.net.